All right, so honestly, haven't there been times at church where you wish you could put a sock in it on somebody's mouth before? Not present company excluded, I'm sure. Okay, Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, That video, which uh, is the first contribution of our new drama team that has been meeting for about a month or so, I guess, uh, fits very well and actually is inspired by a passage of scripture that we must examine as a church. And what I'm doing now is taking a couple of weeks in and interrupting our sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes in order to deal with this topic because it is timely for us, as it's really always timely for a church, but especially for where we are as a church right now. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses a severely dysfunctional church. As a matter of fact, we might even be able to make a pretty good case for it being one of the most dysfunctional churches in history, although it's hard for me to say that because there's just so many dysfunctional churches these days. But Paul goes from one topic to another as he tries to influence them and to teach them the proper way to handle their business as a church and to relate with one another inside of the church. And we come to chapter 12 which is where this video was actually kind of birthed, I guess. And we find here a couple of key verses that help us to understand. And so let's look at verse 27 first. Excuse me, verse 12 first. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse 12, Paul says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body... So it is with Christ. Now we're going to stop right there and we're going to kind of jump around in chapter 12 a little bit this morning. But we also go to chapter 12, verse 27, and Paul says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what we find then in these two verses is played out in that drama that you just saw. Each person has a particular role to play, all part of the body, and that's the picture that Paul gives us here. So there's the mouth, and there's the foot, and there's the hand, and we just kind of work our way through. And matter of fact, in one of the uh, classes that I've taught in years past, we took some of these spiritual gift lists and we put an empty body on there and had people kind of label where each gift might fit. The point of the matter as we come into this is that Paul, in teaching this early church, says everybody is a member of the body, but every member has a role to play, a function that the entire body looks to as part of the overall thing. So with that in mind, Paul is emphasizing here body life for us. And so that for us, because of our education committee and our Sunday school work and our nominating committee and the committee on committees and all of the things that we are trying to do as a church to position us to be more effective and more efficient as a church, we need to come down to what Paul is teaching us here. So we interrupt our normal series for a couple of weeks to look at what we're talking about when, or what Paul's talking about when he talks about spiritual gifts. Here's the fundamental message this morning, all right? If you have to leave early, grab hold of this, and you'll take with you what I'm trying to accomplish. I would like to get you to plug in here, okay? Now, here's the deal. I will... I know that I don't look all that sharp. I wasn't born yesterday, though. And I know that when I say I would like you to plug in here, I'm swimming upstream with a lot of people. 
particularly, I know that uh, the possibility is that somebody would respond to that, wait a minute, why should I plug in? It's not enough for me to want you to work at this church. Matter of fact, I, I'm going to say this in a little bit different way later, but I'm not even sure that I would stand in front of you just for the sake of getting you to work to say, please plug in. There's got to be better reasons for that. And that kind of drives where I want to start today. When I say I want to help you get plugged in here, I know that some people are sitting out there going, wait a minute, what makes you think I want to plug in there? I think these days, let's just kind of call it what it is and let's settle into it and uh, see if we can't get our finger on the pulse of society today, especially Christians in this society. All of us need good reasons to do the things that we do. Now, there are things that we have to do. We recognize that. Like pretty much, unless you're independently wealthy or you're retired, you pretty much have to get up and go to work in the mornings. If you have kids in your home, you pretty much have to feed them. And that happens on a regular basis, which again goes back to the having to get up and go to work kind of thing. There are things we have to do in life, but there are also those things in life that are optional for us. And I have long said that we always make time for the things that are important to us. The things that I don't have time for are the things that don't rate high enough on my importance list, and therefore I may or may not get to them. So when it comes to a preacher standing in front of a room full of people saying, hey, I want to help you get plugged in here at Crestwood Baptist Church, many people I know hear that and say, well, what makes you think I want to get plugged in? And with all kinds of reasons for that. So let's deal with the first one, this one about these uh, schedules that we have and why, why I just don't seem to have time to do it. There's something that I call valuable involvement, valuable involvement. In other words, if I'm going to plug into something, that something has to pass a test for me. Is it important enough for me to want to do it? Does it rate high enough on my order of priorities for it to be worth doing? Let me give you an example of that. A a number of years ago now, I had the opportunity to go play golf. Now, in those days, I was playing golf on a regular basis. Our office was closed on Fridays, and so or at least the ministers were off on Fridays. And so a lot of times all the ministerial staff down the valley would get together and we'd go play golf on Fridays. Well, I woke up one morning and the wind was blowing 4,000 miles an hour that day. I, it was horrible. And I walked out before daylight and it was blowing. I thought, man, if it's this bad now, what's it going to be like at 10 o'clock when we're out on the golf course? And so I went in and I thought, this is a bad day for golf. Now, I want you to let that phrase sink in. A bad day for golf. Because I got on the phone and I called a friend of mine who was supposed to come by and pick me up for us to go on the staff. And I said, hey man, have you been outside? He said, no, you woke me up. I said, well, the wind's blowing 4,000 miles an hour. I'm not sure. This is a bad day for golf. And he stopped me. He said, Mark, you should know there is no such thing as a bad day for golf. He's an idiot, okay? I don't know how else to say it other than that. But that's kind of what I thought about it. Here's another example of what I'm talking about, tied to golf. My dad and I used to go play a lot on Fridays. And one morning, he picked me up, and we were, it's not like I did him own car, everybody's picking me up, I know, but it just worked out that way. Picked me up, and we're on our way to the golf course. And as we're going over there, it starts to sprinkle a little bit. And we kind of go through one little rain shower, and we're still, you know, it's about a 30-minute drive to the golf course. 
And we're on our way over there, and it starts sprinkling. And I looked at him, and I said, it's raining, and rain's forecast today. I don't really think, you know, that we're not going to be able to play today. And he looked at me, and he said, famous words. Oh, I love to play in the rain. Now, here's why that's a big deal for us. We got out to that golf course. We were on the furthest point in the golf course from the clubhouse. Okay, clubhouse means shelter in this case, all right? And we're on the furthest point, the hole that's the furthest point away from the, go- the clubhouse. And I mean, it just opens up raining. Frogs are jumping into our golf bags to try to get out of the water. It is incredibly wet. To, and so we found ourselves huddled with me and him and four other golfers in a men's restroom that was not the size of that sound booth back there. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I love to play in the rain. <laughs> now here's what that communicates, both of those stories. For me, golf is okay. But in those other people's case, golf was Life, or at least it seemed that way. So it just kind of underscores that part of us, if it's important enough for us to do it, we'll do it. Doesn't matter what the conditions are. Doesn't even matter necessarily on the payout and all that kind of stuff. If it's important for us, then we're going to do it. Now, let me translate that down into how we live our lives every day. One of the things that I love about this area is it seems to be pretty strong on family. And I like that about our church. It's one of the first things that hit me when we visited here before we ever came in view of a call, looking across and seeing the number of young families that were represented in this church. And so one of the things that I hope is true of us is that our family life is pretty high on our list of priorities. In other words, when I have the opportunity to do lots of other things, go to the lake, go fishing, go hunting, Go to the movies, whatever it happens to be. Somewhere you need to be thinking in there, where is my family in all this, especially if we're not going to do it as a family. That makes sense? All right. Okay. Make sure you're with me because I'm not here to talk about family stuff today. I'm here to talk about our church body stuff today. So when the preacher stands up and says, I really would like to help you plug in here at this church, many people hear that and say, I'm not so sure I want to plug in. What you're saying is it doesn't rate high enough on my importance list. I don't have enough valuable involvement payout from that. Now, here's another question that we tend to ask, another filter that we use when somebody approaches us about doing stuff that doesn't rate that high up. What's required of me? Do you get that? Let me give you an example of that. Uh, a number of years ago now, probably three or four, something like that, I, w- I received a phone call down where I lived, down the Rio Grande Valley, and it was from one of the muckety-mucks in the Baptist world uh, stationed in Dallas. And they were contacting me to ask me to serve on a board of a Baptist institution down in the Rio Grande Valley, wanted me to be a trustee. Now, I was busy enough. I mean, I had kind of settled into that deal, and I wasn't overly busy, but um, I got to tell you, the last thing I really wanted to do was serve on any kind of a board for anybody, and certainly not in that kind of situation. So the first question that I asked that guy is, if I do this, 
What's required of me? Now, that's not a bad question to ask, by the way. I'm not saying that it's not something we should talk about. I'm just saying that it's something that kind of sometimes we use to filter out stuff, especially when it comes to church work. What is involved in this? What's expected of me? Because maybe you don't have what it takes to do it. Just because somebody asks you doesn't mean that you're obligated. That's another good place for an amen, especially if you're not wanting to work. But let's move on. So here's the bottom line for us when we get to, to this. Why should I plug in at this church? And if we're talking about me as a pastor standing in front of you as an extension of our education committee, and you'll hear about some of that in a minute, and Sunday school, and you'll hear about some of that in a minute, and the committee on committees and nominating committees as those all come together. As I stand before you and say, I would love to help you get plugged in here, and you ask me why should I do that, the bottom line is something has to rate there for us that meets the value involvement test part of it. So let's look back to this passage again. As we come to it, I think maybe it's a good idea for us to get another thing out of the way. This is a good time for us to acknowledge that the way we have filled positions in Baptist life is probably not biblical. Okay, let me just say it anyway. It's just not biblical when you get right down to it. All right? Now, here's, here's kind of the, the Baptist way. Historically, and I, okay, it's also a good time for me to let you know. Now, I'm going to hack on Baptists a little bit here, all right? But that's because I are one, all right? Now, I'm a Baptist on purpose. Uh, I've studied extensively other denominations. I'm not knocking any other denomination with this. I'm just telling you, I do this. Because I believe, after my own study, that this is where God wants me. And I believe that biblically we, we kind of see things the way I see them. And so I'm a Baptist on purpose, all right? So it's easier for me to hack on Baptists than it is for me to hack on somebody else. That might not be fair. Uh, we don't do things right all the time. And by the way, here's a good thing to hang on to. If we find that we've done it this way all the time, that doesn't make it right. And it certainly doesn't make it acceptable just because we've always done it some way. Uh, if we just you know, kind of laid into we've always done it this way, there would be no such thing as a wheel or cars. We would still be walking. There's time to step back and say, wait a minute, are we getting this right? So here's how Baptists have missed it historically. When it comes time to fill the roster for workers in Baptist churches historically, and I mean historically in my life from the time I was Late teenager, all the way till now, aware of Baptist life. Here's the way we did it. We'd, nominate, we'd set a committee together, nominating committee or committee on committees, whatever we called them. And we would put them in a room and a staff member from the church would come in and say, we need these positions to be filled. And it was the job of that committee to fill those positions. So let me step back from that for a second and ask you, in Crestwood Life, how many Sunday school teachers do you think we need from preschool all the way through to uh, next stop is heaven, I think is the way Teresa said that earlier, class. How many teachers do you think we need here? Let me tell you something. It's a bunch. It's a bunch. We have a lot of Sunday school classes. We need lots of workers. Always needing workers. So the historic Baptist way is you sit down with that committee and say, okay, we need, let's call it 100 spots which might be conservative for us. I don't know. We need 100 spots. How does that committee go to fill 100 spots of Sunday school teachers? 
Well, historically, the way they do it is they say, well, I know so-and-so. And And somebody else says, yeah, I know so-and-so. And And so they start going with the people they know, and they start filling slots, and it's never enough. Okay? They never know enough people to fill the spots because some of the people they know have said, oh, no, I used to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. And so we have this shortage. And then you know what's next? They ask for a church role. And so the office supplies them a role of all the people who are members of the church, and they sit down, and they take that role, and they start working through it. And they say, oh, well, I, this, is old, you know, this is old Sister Sourpuss. She would be great in there as a greeter. And so they put her name down. And then they come across it. And this is old brother, hadn't seen him in a year, guy. And they say, well, let's put him in there. Maybe if we put him in, he'll show up more often. That's crazy. That's just, I don't know. That's just crazy. So we've done it that way in Baptist. I can't tell you how many hours of committee meetings I've sat through just chewing my fingers down to nubs, not the nails, the fingers. I'm just like, no, please no. Now, if if you're biblically oriented, you ought to be sitting out there going, okay, preacher, those are some strong claims, and you need to back them up. Don't be just up there hacking for the sake of hacking. So let's go to Scripture and let's see what Paul says. Now, we've already dealt with a couple of verses where Paul underscores the reality that is Every member has a gift, and every gift contributes to the common good. That's verse 12 and verse 27, but let's go ahead and fill it out just a little bit more. By the way, here's a principle that I said. Maybe he's added up there already. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's good or that it's right. So now let's look. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have Paul beginning now into this discussion about spiritual gifts, but there's a reason for that. Here, let me give you the background on it, why this is so important for us. Paul, in my opinion, is arguably the greatest influence on the church as we know it, other than Jesus Christ, obviously it's his church, and the Holy Spirit, God, the Trinity, at work in us as a people. This is their body, their church, okay? We are his people, Outside of that, Paul has the greatest impact on the church as we know it. You look through the New Testament, Paul, after his conversion, was a church planter. But in in the process of planting churches, he also kept in contact with them. And he wrote stuff, wrote letters to them, never anticipating that they would be part of a gathered book called the Bible. Paul wrote these churches and he said to them, hey, you're getting it wrong. Your belief is wrong. Your doctrine is wrong. So he corrects it. Your practice is wrong. That's most of the First Corinthians book. It's, your practice is wrong, so you've got to get this part done. Paul wrote most of what we call the New Testament, writing to churches, trying to help them get it right. Now, that's important because when we come to this topic of spiritual gifts, which deals with how we ought to operate and how we ought to interact as a church, Paul says in three different places, that in other words, three different letters to churches, Three different times he says, here, let's talk about spiritual gifts. Three churches, three places, three different lists of these gifts. When we get to them, we'll talk about some of those next week. Paul so believed that this was the way to do church that it found its way into the major writings that we find in the New Testament. The book of Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. 
This is not optional for us. We have to operate this way, I believe, if we're going to be true to the New Testament. Spiritual gifts. And so the first three verses, remember, a very dysfunctional church. Here's what Paul says, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What Paul's saying is, for those of us, when we gather together here, when we call on the name of the Lord, we do that at the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's important in this because these are gifts that he gives to us. So that's verses 1 through 3. Let's look a little further. And let's find a guiding principle that we can follow when it comes to spiritual gifts. Verses 4 through 7, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of activities, but the same Lord. And there are, uh, excuse me, I messed that up, right? And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Here's the principle. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me boil that down for you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, part of what happens with you at that moment is the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift. Now, some of you are sitting out there going, I didn't get mine. I missed church that day, and they were handing them out, and I didn't get them. Not true. What does the passage say? To each is given. All right. What I want you to get from this is, if you call on Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have a gift. That is a spiritual thing. It's different than a talent. We'll probably get to that if I don't run out of time here. But it's something that the Holy Spirit gives to you, and it is used for... The common good of the church. Now, I got a ton of stuff to say about that. Let me get the rest of this scripture in. So there's the guiding principle. Let's look at the result that we get. It's a healthy re- result, and it starts in the second part of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Okay, now let me, I'll just give you an example from the video. Most people think, now Nathan, this is nothing personal. Most people think that the foot is not that big of a deal until they don't have one. But they think that the mouth is the bigger deal. So that's kind of the deal. The perceptions are wrong in all of this. And so Paul starts there in verse 27, excuse me, verse 24. He says again, but God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What he's saying with us is the result of a church that functions where people are plugging in with their spiritual gift is that we are better together than we ever are separately. And we accomplish things as a body that we could never accomplish as just a bunch of individuals who are out there. Great example of that is any sports team um, that's a team kind of a sport. If it's a football team, they better figure out how to work together. Case in point, I played quarterback when I was in junior high school. Okay? Had a guy that was the center, and he was molasses slow. All right? In practice, 
It was offense against a defense. And I went under center and I got the ball. And as soon as he gave it to me, I turned to hand it off to the halfback and I got hammered by the linebacker. I looked at molasses and I said, man, you're supposed to block that guy. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, man. Okay. So next play. Take the, take the ball from center, and I turn. It's supposed to be a pitch out. And before I can even turn and pitch it, the nose guard is in my face. I get to the huddle, and I looked at molasses, and I, this time I'm a little more involved than I was before. It hurts to get hit. Okay? Quarterbacks are not supposed to get hit. That's what I thought. Seemed like a good idea. I got him in, and I grabbed him by the face mask, and I pulled him close to me, and I said, if you don't block those guys, I'm going to kill you from behind. He wasn't playing like a team. He was molasses. He was in it for the glory, I guess. I don't know. He was hurting me. Okay, The picture for us as a church is team. Paul uses a different analogy. It's not team. It's body. And every body plugged in doing what they're gifted to do causes the body to function right. That's the picture here. So here's another truth for you. Plugging in, okay, now I'm going to kind of restate what I've been saying. Plugging in at the point of your spiritual gift is the most effective way to accomplish the work of the church. And what you're seeing in front of you here, it also is the most effective way for you to get the fulfillment that you need in service. When I say to people, I'd love to help you get plugged in. When you think to yourself, I don't know if I want to get plugged in, that tells me that you've not ever experienced what it's like to operate in your gift and the fulfillment that that brings. It kind of gets at a different deal. I want to look at one more verse of Scripture and we'll come back here. First Peter chapter 4. Let's look at that very quickly. Because he kind of sums it up for us. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, he says, Oh, by the way, First Peter... Peter is writing to a church that is being uh, persecuted. And some of them are at a point of going, you know what, I'm not sure this is worth it anymore. And so Peter in his letter begins to talk to them about some of the basic elements of the Christian life, especially as you look forward at the very end. It's worth all that you have to pay today. And he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here we go. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what we get when we pull all of that together. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. We could pull in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. All of it comes back to say this. We do best as a church when we pattern what we do according to God's plan. And God's plan is everybody with at least one gift plugged in and the church benefits accordingly. And so do you. You see, that, that kind of gets to my next deal. The filter that we often throw up is that this is one we're not usually willing to talk about. You know, the what's required of me, we don't mind talking about that one. And the, well, I don't know if I have time. 
We don't mind talking about that one. By the way, on the, I don't know if I have time. How about this? How about as a church, we start praying for one another that God would rip the rug out from under our feet if feets. I did go to school. It just doesn't look like it. How about we start praying for each other and say, God, so-and-so is too busy to do your work. So why don't you just rip the rug right out from under their feet and give them plenty of time? Work on their business so that it's not quite so successful so that maybe... If you're too busy to do what God has gifted you to do, you're too busy. Well, I know it's quiet after I start talking about that. So here's the other one that we ask. Okay, what's in it for me? We are a consumer-oriented society. We don't do anything unless we think there's something in it for us. So what's in it for you? Now we're back to that slide that we were showing just a second ago. Plugging in at the point of your spiritual gifts provides you with the maximum level of fulfillment in the Christian life. One of the things that uh, I like, it it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes to be honest with you, but uh, I've heard this for many years. People come to me after a sermon occasionally, sometimes, and they ask me a question something like this. Do you have hidden cameras at my house? And, of course, you know, the proper answer is absolutely not. I'll swear to that in a court of law. Nope, I don't do that. But what they're asking me is, how can you preach a sermon and be so exact in the stuff that I'm going through in my life? Let me tell you the answer to that, okay, in case you ever wonder that. I'm not spying on you. One lady used to say that I read her mail. I would go by and pick her mail up. Never done that. If you're a postal inspector, never did it, okay? That's a God thing. And when God's people, and in this case, my calling, my gift, you might argue with this, but my gift is to do what I'm doing here, okay? And so if it's any good at all, it's not because of me. It's because it's a God thing. You see, when the Holy Spirit enables you, and here's a good word for us, divinely empowers you to do what you're gifted to do, the power of that is incredible. It's just not my power. That's a good thing because my power could be abused. Okay? But the Holy Spirit enables you, and enables me to do the stuff that he calls us to do, and it's incredibly fulfilling. It's hard for you to listen to my sermons. i got to live with them all week long, but I still walk away when I know that it was God working through me, and I can walk away and go, okay, God did a work today. Let me tell you something, though. I know my gifts well enough to know I ain't working in the nursery. All right? Now, I sort of like my granddaughter. Okay, now she's getting in my wallet. I mean, this girl, she figures stuff out early. She's getting in my wallet big time. I sort of like her. I don't want to deal with your grandchildren, okay? Is that all right? I don't, it's not because I don't like you and don't like them. I just ain't changing some other baby's diaper. Ain't happening. All right? It's not my gift to work over there. It'd be better for everybody if I just pass by the nursery and say hi to the workers when I go. It's a good thing. Now, some of you are sitting out there going, I could never stand up in front of a crowd full of people and talk. But I could do that nursery thing. You see, God enables you, divinely empowers you to do stuff. It's not for me to do. It's not for a deacon to do, maybe. It's not for a Sunday school teacher to do. 
Or maybe it is for a Sunday school. Maybe that's the gift there. All kinds of gifts. We'll talk about those next week. This week, what I wanted to do was give an apologetic that says, this is crucial in the life of a church. We have to get to this. Now, that's so important. Not just me saying this, although I'm fully behind it. Our education committee came to me after our last meeting. By the way, today's committee day, 4 o'clock over there. Uh, by the way, if you're on the church council, 3.30, you should have gotten a call. They came to me and they said, look, we need new teachers. We need more teachers. Now, that's not new as in we're going to get rid of the ones we have. That's not what they mean. We need more. I'll come back to that before I close today. But we feel like we need to do this, but we need to know how to identify them. And we believe that spiritual gifts is where we need to start, to which I said a hearty amen. That's right. So Teresa Matthews is going to come. She's our Sunday school director. She's also on the education committee. And she's going to give you a little bit of insight on what we're going to do and some of why I'm doing this. I think you need that. Well, just grab a microphone there. Okay, all right? So I'll be back in just a few minutes. Um, as Brother Mark, I'm Teresa Matthews. And um, if some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, when God calls you to do something and he gives you a gift, he equips you to do that gift. Speaking in front of people and teaching is not where I would have chose myself to be, but that's where God's chose me to be. He shows me as a teacher and as a equipper for other believers. And when God provides you with the ability to do what he's asked you to do, you are fulfilled in every way. When you sing or play the piano or design homes or design things up here at the church, you're using your gift and ability that God has given you. Some of you are so gifted with money, I just look at y'all in awe. I'm just like, where are we? You know, I don't see that because that's not what God has gifted me to do. God hasn't gifted me to work in the nursery. I'm with Brother Mark. Not happening. Between Spencer and I, I think our spiritual gift of mercy, I think when we did it before we scored like a two between the two of us. <laughs> and then we give it, when we have a child who has mercy as her spiritual gift. You know, go figure. God didn't call all of us to be the same thing. In Sunday school, starting on the week of the 17th, we're going to have spiritual gifts in your Sunday school classes surveys. And we want you to fill those out. You're going to be about 15 minutes on the 17th and the 24th. Won't take any time out of the Sunday school class, not the whole time. You don't have to worry about scoring the spiritual gift. We'll do that at church in the office and the education committee. These, the information will be used. It will be put in the ACS and the computer with spreadsheets, whatever we got to do, so we can be able to use the information and to plug people in where they need to be. The committee on committees that chose a lot of the people to be on the other committees that meet today at four, this is going to better help them next year when they have to start looking for people to be on hospitality committee. Well, you're not going to be looking at me. Or if you're going to be looking for me to be in um, the merciful committee that, uh, that helps people when they pass away, not happening, not my gift. But it is yours. Some of you are so compassionate for people when they're sick and hurting and when people lose someone. Some of you are so hospitable to love people and welcome them in the church. That's where you need to be plugged into. Don't be, don't, well, I'm not as good as the mouth, like on the video. Well, yeah, you are, because where God's equipped you, that's good. What you do benefits me, and what I do benefits you. So on the 17th and the 24th in Sunday school, we're going to be um, doing the spiritual gift survey. Just turn it in. If you don't go to Sunday school, now's a good time for you to be plugged into Sunday school. Mike Martin's class meets upstairs. Kevin's upstairs. We've got several classes downstairs. If you cannot go upstairs, meet with me. I'll show you where to go. 
and then if you do not make it to Sunday school, we're going to have some in the back on both services and a box for you to fill them out and turn them in. Please take this as very important to turn in because we want to know how we can help you and what we can do to better equip our church to help the people that come in. Thank you. All right, I'm back on. All right, last two slides very quickly. Here's the first thing I want you to get, all right? Nobody can do your gift in this church. If you don't plug in with it, it goes undone, which means we're less than what we ought to be if you don't plug in, okay? So I'm asking you to plug in. At least entertain what we're talking about as an option in your thinking. See if it passes the value test in your life. And the second part of it is what I said earlier. You are divinely empowered to do this. Think about that statement. When you do what you're gifted to do, it just doesn't seem like work. That's not to say that you don't get tired and all of that. It's just that when you plug in where God has designed for you to work, it's just natural for you. So here's your homework. Figure out where you are plugged in and if that fits where you might be gifted. And if it doesn't, you need to resign and get out of that. Okay? And don't worry because there's somebody here. If God's called us to do that as a church, somebody's here to do it. That's his responsibility, not ours. Okay? So if you're in something and you know it's not your gift, then get out of it. Okay? But that also means that you get in where you are gifted. So... This week, do a little bit of an evaluation of where you are plugged in in God's work. And if you're not plugged in, then maybe that's the place to start. Say, well, what, what do I like to do? Let's pray. And Father, as we come to this, we recognize that it's so easy for us to just do it the way we've always done it without really giving a whole lot of thought to it. So we pray that you would help us to have a paradigm shift as necessary plug in as you call us to burn deep within us that desire to do your work the way you choose for us to do it we pray for the supply in Jesus name